Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus, your friends. The part of God's Word that we'll give our attention to this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 1. Luke picks up really with the second half of his gospel as he talks about the spread of the gospel in the early church in the same place that he left off at Jesus' ascension. Please listen. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After He said this, He was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid Him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is the word of our God. God has ascended amid shouts of joy. You know, Jesus' ascension into heaven is one of those key events in salvation history. Jesus' ascension is something that we confess regularly in the creeds that we use in our worship services week after week. His ascension really marks both an end and a beginning. You know, Luke brings that out by ending his gospel, the story of Jesus' saving work in this world, with the account of his ascension. And then he begins the book of Acts, the story of the spread of the gospel in the early church, with that very same account. Jesus' ascension assures us that the work he came to do here on earth is complete. He lived a perfect life for us. He died on the cross to make payment for our sins. He rose again to assure us that God accepted everything He had done on our behalf. And then after 40 days, after appearing alive to so many of His followers, Jesus ascended into heaven before the eyes of that close band of disciples. In some ways, it was a mission-complete sort of event. But at the same time, based on the words that Jesus spoke that day, it's very clear that a new phase of the mission 
was only just beginning. And it's not as if Jesus was saying to his people on that day, okay, I've done my part. My part of the work is complete. Now, it's all up to you. It's in your hands. No, he makes it clear that in this new phase of the mission, he's going to be at work through his people to accomplish even more. The message of Jesus' Easter victory has to be proclaimed by his people to the ends of the earth. That's what he's called us to do. But through his Holy Spirit, Jesus assures us that he's going to be with us, that he's going to direct us and strengthen us and bless us as we carry out this important work. And if you just stop and think about it for a minute, for a mission as great and as expansive as the one that Jesus has given to his church, to take the message of salvation to the ends of the earth, how absolutely necessary it is that Jesus should be with us every step of the way as we go about that mission. Can you imagine how many different ideas and opinions there might be about what the church should be hoping for, what the church should be busy doing in this world if we didn't have the direction of God Himself to keep us on track. Think about these first disciples, the ones who first received this mission from the Lord. They had been personally taught by Jesus for the last three years. They were witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. For 40 days following that, he gave them further instructions about their mission here on earth. But now as he's getting ready to leave, as he's getting ready to ascend into heaven, those disciples make it clear that they still very much needed Jesus' direction. They asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? After all his teaching, after all that they had seen and heard from him, they're still looking for some kind of visible, glorious kingdom here on earth. Without the Spirit's direction, that would be you and me. That would be our church. We know that on our own, we can never understand the things of God. We can never fully appreciate how important they are. The Holy Spirit has to enlighten us. But even once he's done that enlightening, once he's turned things on for us and we understand the will and ways of God, even then we tend to get sidetracked as his people. Maybe like those first disciples, we'd like a little more outward, visible glory for our church. Maybe on a local level, we wish our church was a little bit bigger, or more beautiful, or more well-known in this community. Maybe we wish that Christians in general had a little more prestigious place in our society today. And so the Lord Jesus sends His Holy Spirit to get us back on track, to refocus us on what matters most. Number one, that Jesus is this world's Savior from sin. Number two, as His people, our job is simply this to be His witnesses in this world. Jesus sends His Holy Spirit to keep us on track with the mission. But that same Spirit also gives us power that we need to carry out 
that mission. Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Think about the impact that that power had on Jesus' first disciple. Just a couple of weeks back, all of them fled in fear at the first sign of danger in the Garden of Gethsemane. Even Peter, the de facto leader of that group, denied even knowing Jesus when the pressure came his way. But on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit came, everything changed. Those men changed. From frightened cowards to fearless confessors. The disciples got up in the city that day and preached the good news about Jesus to a crowd that was by and large hostile to that message. And yet we're told about 3,000 were added to the number that day. Under the Holy Spirit's guidance and blessing, so many hearts that were filled with this hatred for Jesus were suddenly turned and filled with the love for the Savior. That's power. And we have it too. We have that same powerful gospel. Paul tells us it's the power of God for salvation. And yet sometimes like those first disciples when they were hiding behind locked doors, <clears throat> we can sit around and kind of wring our hands in this world about all of the seeming obstacles that we face as a church. Maybe we complain that the country in which we live is getting more and more anti-Christian. We think of issues like the sanctity of life or gender and sexuality issues. We wonder what message can ever turn the tide on that. We wonder maybe is there anything that can stave off all of the violence and the bloodshed that we see so regularly in our communities. What's going to change that? What's going to make that better? We wonder what can overcome the secularism that pervades our society. So many people turning away from God and just turning in on themselves. We worry that maybe one of the long-term impacts of this pandemic that we've been through is going to be that fewer and fewer people are ever going to come back to church on a regular basis, and maybe some will never come back at all. Maybe we look at ourselves and we think, you know, we're just a small group here with limited resources. What more can we really do than what we're already doing? We so easily forget that we have the raw power of the gospel placed into our hearts and into our hands. And think of the impact that's, that's had on you. That message of knowing that all of your sins have been fully, freely forgiven. Consider how that has led you to love and trust in your Savior Jesus. Consider the impact that that has on your everyday life in this world and on your love for one another. That gospel still has the power to overcome all of the obstacles that we see around us in this world. It still has the power to cut through cold, stony hearts and awaken faith in the living Lord Jesus there. That's the power that Jesus promises His people with the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's a power that we're going to dig into a little bit more next week when we celebrate His coming on the day of Pentecost. But you know, it's not just that the Spirit's power accompanies the message that we proclaim. 
The Spirit's power also encourages us as those messengers. When Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, we understand that there's a certain amount of risk involved with that. I mean, that was certainly true for the first disciples, right? As soon as they began to preach and teach in the name of Jesus, their lives were immediately in jeopardy. Some were put in prison, some were exiled, many were put to death simply for carrying out the work that Jesus had given them to do. Thankfully, in our country, we're not generally threatened with prison or torture or death for sharing the good news about Jesus. Maybe the risks that we face are a little different, kind of internal one. Maybe it's the fear of failure, right, when it comes to witnessing. We think about the opportunities that God puts before us and we wonder, am I going to say the right thing in this situation? Am I going to embarrass myself? Or even worse, am I going to embarrass my Savior? And we think, am I going to walk away from this opportunity to witness with even more questions about my own personal faith? Am I going to walk away from this opportunity disappointed once again by the response that I receive? Unfortunately, Satan wins many battles when through these internal struggles, these fears of failure that we have, he manages to keep God's witnesses silent in this world. But you know, the ironic thing is, is that it's not just the fear of failure that can keep us quiet at times. Sometimes the fear of success can make us a little bit timid too. There's a story about Alexander the Great, that after he conquered the Persian Empire and most of the known world at that time, you might have thought he would have kind of taken a rest, enjoyed his success for a little bit. But having assembled one of the greatest armies ever known, he decided to keep on pushing eastward. He wanted to rule the whole world at that time. But as his army was approaching the Himalayan mountains, we know him as that today, the commanders of the army came back to Alexander and said, we've marched off the map. We should go back to where we know. They had literally gone beyond the boundaries of the maps that they had at that time. And how did Alexander respond to their concerns? He said, mediocre armies always stay in the known areas, but the great armies always march off the map. I wonder if, it, if in some ways we can be like those soldiers in Alexander's army at times. A little bit afraid of the unknown. I mean, if the Lord blesses us as we take his message out to this community in this world, it may mean changes for our congregation, right? There may be new people, new families coming in, new perspectives. Things are going to look a little bit different. might mean that we need more preschool classrooms, more worship space, more teachers, more pastors, and of course all of that means more money. Witnessing can take us into unfamiliar territory as a congregation and as individuals. It can move us out of our comfort zone. The things and the routines that we like so much are liable to change. Does that frighten us a little bit? Listen again to what Jesus says. You will be my witnesses. The statement is a non-negotiable. 
He doesn't ask for our input or our opinion. He's not overly concerned with whether or not this is what we had in mind for ourselves. He simply tells us, you are going to be what I have made you to be. My witnesses. See, that's an exciting thought. Because the Lord Jesus promises to bless us richly as we carry out this work. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus' first disciples got to see that promise begin to play out before their very eyes. On the day of Pentecost, there were people from Arabia, from Africa, from Italy, from Greece, and from many other countries around the world who were there in Jerusalem to hear the gospel message proclaimed by Peter and the others. And as I mentioned before, about 3,000 were added to the numbers of the church that day. Can you imagine how things changed then? when so many new people came into the church. Later on, through the evangelist Philip, the gospel message traveled in the heart of an Ethiopian man down to the continent of Africa. Through the ministry of the Apostle Paul, the gospel message traveled throughout the ancient Mediterranean world and beyond. The testimony of those first eyewitnesses continues to go out in our world today. The church continues to expand. And we get to be a part of that. The church expands when a four-year-old from our child care center goes home and shares with their parents the Bible story that they heard that week. Maybe it's a Bible story that those parents are hearing for the very first time. The kingdom expands when a grandmother brings her grandchildren to worship or to Sunday school. It expands during a day at the park with a friend when you get to share with them why you go to church and why it's so important to you. It expands when you decide to sign up for one of our Bible information classes here at Bethany. Even though you've been through it before, you want to hear it again and you want to be there to support and encourage those who are maybe hearing it for the very first time. You might think of those situations as our Jerusalem, our Judea. And yet the message continues to expand to the ends of the earth. And we're part of that as well. Now, maybe most of us can't go to those remote places and devote our whole lives to sharing the gospel personally with others. But still, by the work that we do through our little preschool here in town, through our partnership with the Wisconsin Synod, we're a part of that work too. It's true that maybe many of the children we serve in our preschool and their families will never become members here at Bethany. But wherever the Lord Jesus leads them out to in this world, they take with them the message of Jesus that we got to share with them. And the kingdom expands. We personally may not go to those far and remote places. But through our support of the Synod, through the gifts that we give through things like the Women's Missionary Society, we help to make that work possible. And the kingdom expands. You know, one more thing that we don't want to forget here. When Jesus calls us to be his witnesses, when he says that he wants us to take the message of salvation to the ends of the earth, we know that that has to begin right here in our own hearts, in our own homes, and in our own families. We can't share what we don't have. 
the ascended Lord Jesus wants to rule first in our hearts and in the hearts of those closest to us so that he can continue to direct us and strengthen us for the work that he's given us to do. And we can be sure that the one who is seated at God's right hand, the one who rules over absolutely everything with his almighty power, he's going to bless us as we carry out this mission. We are his witnesses. To take that message of salvation, yes, to the ends of the earth, but also to everywhere in between. Amen. And may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus.